0: interview presented by the Progressive Policy Institute. Today, Paul Weinstein will be interviewing Joanne Gaskin. Paul Weinstein is a senior fellow at the Progressive Policy Institute and is the director of the Public Management Master's Program at Johns Hopkins University. He'll be interviewing Joanne Gaskin, a VP at FICO. She is responsible for their mortgage, capital markets, and regulatory programs. We'll be talking today about credit scoring, and changes that FICO is making to how your credit score is calculated. Enjoy. Well, thanks, Joanne, for being here today. Really appreciate it. Uh, credit scoring is really, uh, it's always an important issue, and, and uh, but in particular in our, our current uh, situation, I think it's even more um, on the minds of, of people uh, given the current economic situation. I know there's a lot of issues we want to cover uh, today, But but I think it would be helpful if you could sort of list, talk a little bit about the, the basics of credit scoring. Like, just give us sort of a, a 101 on, like, what is a credit score and, and, and how they get made.
1: Sure, Paul. So a credit score is simply a number that summarizes the information on your credit report that provides lenders really with a snapshot of the likelihood that that consumer is going to be in a position to pay back that loan. Um, So the higher your score, the higher the likelihood that you will pay your credit card bill or your mortgage payment on time. So the FICO score has a range of 300 to 850. So the 850 would be the highest, um, and you would see that that would be reflected in exceptional credit quality. So when FICO goes to develop a consumer score, we use the depersonalized data that comes from the three credit bureaus. So Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. The credit bureaus are responsible for compiling and maintaining the information that makes up your credit report. That data is provided by lenders who are furnishing the data. And then FICO simply takes that data and develops models to um, come up with that single number, which makes it easy for both the lender and the consumer to understand the credit decision.
0: Thanks so much. Let's, but so you mentioned the three um, uh, the, the three biggest uh, uh, credit bureaus. So, As I understand it, basically, we all have three credit scores and when I'm buying a home or uh, taking out a car loan. How does that come into play. How do the different credit scores interact
1: no, that's a great question. So, you know, three credit bureaus all have slightly different data that is reported to them, Maybe, or maybe the information is provided at a different point in time. And so when um, the credit score or the FICO score is generated, it could be a little bit different across each of the three bureaus. And so if you're applying for a mortgage, one of the things that happens is regularly that the credit score and report is pulled across all three Uh, So that the lender has full uh, transparency into your credit profile. And we think that that's important to know as you go to apply for credit so that you go out and check each of your three credit bureau reports and scores in advance so that you know whether you're going to qualify or qualify for the terms that are most important to you. Uh, you will also find at times um, that, you know, if you're applying for a credit card or car loan, they're not likely to pull credit from each of the three, uh, but at least from one of the three of credit bureaus in order to make that credit decision.
0: So I think there's a lot of um, misconceptions out there, um, particularly um, with our our um, uh, millennials and, and 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 Gen Zers uh, who are coming into uh, the themselves are coming into the job market uh a lot of misconceptions about what um uh, that, that 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 about credit scores and i'm just wondering like are there particular misconceptions that are sort of typically happen a lot Are what are the sort of biggest ones and and um are are they generation generationally different does a, a boomer maybe have a different misconception than say uh a millennial, for example, or or are they the same, <laughs> really?
1: Yeah, no. I, that's uh, there are a lot of misconceptions around credit scoring, and I would say the first or largest, and I don't think it's generational, is this that it's just too complicated to understand. Uh, I you know can't invest the time to make certain um, that I understand. Perhaps they're overwhelmed, uh, or. Um, Consumers at times think if they had a misstep and there was something negative on their credit report, there's no opportunity to improve their score. And so we want to express that scores are dynamic, that you have an opportunity to improve your credit score um, at any given point in time. So, what we want to make certain that we convey is it's relatively simple to get a good FICO score. You know, it's important just to pay your bills on time. Uh, Avoid having uh, any of your payments go late enough to go to collections. Um, Try to keep balances low on your credit card. Here's another misconception for you, Paul. Somewhere they started reporting that you should keep your credit card balances below 30%. And so now we have consumers thinking 30% is the right target. And we would say, nope, um, don't... uh, Uh, Don't think that you need to keep uh, balances out there. You know, if you can get it down to, you know, under 5%, that would be tremendous uh, in terms of improving your score. And also, you know, have a mix of credit. Uh, What we see from the FICO score is those that have uh, different products in their wallet, uh, such as, uh, you know, credit card, an auto loan, maybe student loan, um, demonstrates the ability to manage credit effectively across different products. And so there is an opportunity to prove your score uh, through that as well. But we think it's just important that, you know, if you had a misstep, no matter where you are in your financial life, it's never too late to try to get back on the credit ladder and um, show, demonstrate responsible behavior.
0: Just quick, uh, and a quick aside, like, so what's a, you know, what is a good credit score? I mean, I, I have, I think I looked the other day, I had an 803 or something like that, which I guess is pretty good. I mean, is there, is it 800 and above? Is it 750 and above? What's what's a, a, a decent score for someone to shoot for?
1: Well, an 803 is exceptional, Paul. And so what you'll find is that really anything above 780, a consumer is gonna qualify for the best terms from any lender. Uh, if we could, you know, typically we would say if you're getting into 720 um, and up, you have very good credit. And again, you're going to be able to get access to favorable terms from most lenders.
0: OK, great, I think that's helpful to know. Uh, obviously, everyone has been impacted by the, the COVID-19 pandemic. You, the economic downturn that we've, we're experiencing now is, is historical, uh, and um, and we're not sure where it's going to go or, or what the, the pattern for the future is going to be. Um, and obviously, one of the reasons we're, we're not doing this event live is because of that very fact of what, with the COVID, we're all practicing our safe social distancing here. Yes. But I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, what you think in general, uh, COVID means for credit scores. I, I saw, for example, that um, you know, savings rates have, have jumped up, and there seems to be a trend, at least among some some uh, um, Americans uh, pushing to uh, uh, pay down their credit card debt because they're they're worried about job security, which seems to be logical. Uh, But I'm just sort of trying to get a sense of what you think um, um, this sort of event uh, that we're we're experiencing, this whole sort of pandemic, uh, might have on on credit scoring.
1: Well, you're right, Paul. We are in unprecedented times. You know, so the closest that we can look back to in history for modeling, you know, is the last Great Recession. Uh, it was housing-led, uh, but we see tend to see the same types of impact because it leads to uh, loss of income and jobs. And so, you know, the cash flow becomes a, a problem for uh, many consumers. And so... You know what's been interesting here um, is that we've seen a lot of energy uh, focused on making certain that the COVID pandemic doesn't have a negative impact on um, on consumers' credit scores this time around. Uh, The federal government jumped in really quickly with stimulus packages, guidance for lenders on uh, forbearance programs, and credit reporting. So you know, I think this time through, there's been a lot more um, quick action in order to try to help create that safety net for consumers. Um, at FICO, you know, we've been engaged in actively producing educational materials for consumers to help them protect their credit during the crisis, you know, explaining what is a forbearance, how do you ask your lender for that. It sounds scary if you don't know, um, and these are new terms for many consumers. Um, we've also been partnering with not-for-profit credit counseling firms You know, that they can be in a position to provide direct assistance to consumers in need. Uh, They're reaching out on behalf of consumers to speak to their lenders to see if they can help them put together a different repayment program if they're impacted by COVID. Um, And we've been spending a lot of time with both lenders and servicers um, discussing how to report uh, these forbearance or deferral programs so as to not negatively impact a consumer's FICO score. Uh, But you captured something that I think was really interesting, um, the decline in consumer consumption. So, you know, consumers really have kind of pulled in their horns, so to speak, and are not outspending money. Um, And that lower credit card um, debt or lower utilization certainly could help actually consumers improve their FICO score. Um, The number one driver of the FICO score is payment history. Uh, That's 35%, you know, typically of the model but then the amounts owed or credit utilizations 30%. So, you know, if a consumer is able to stay current and they're lowering their credit card debt, we're gonna see increases in their FICO scores. So the consumers are gonna, uh, in, in some cases, may come out of this uh, looking even um, uh, more resilient.
0: That Would be a, a great uh, positive if that was the case. So we'll have to see. I uh, hope so. Right. So you mentioned congress and and the administration and um uh you mentioned how uh the fact that the stimulus bills early on provide had provided some lifelines to americans which may and may hopefully help them not only improve their credit scores but weather the 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 current economic crisis Uh, i am wondering is there are there other positive things you think Congress has done that's going to help the situation with respect to credit scores or, or even some things that might concern you that they're looking at or, or, or actually did do in, in one of the previous stimulus bills? i uh, just curious if you have any thoughts on that.
1: And the um, one thing that we saw that we thought was very positive was out of the last CARES Act. Um, And what we thought was um, really valuable there was uh, helping um, a consistent approach for um, offering forbearance plans. I think, you know, with that in mind, um, it helps uh, the industry coalesce and understand how to um, make the offer. Um, And also really important to your other um, questions earlier, how to actually report this information to the credit bureaus. And we thought that the direction provided, which was to know that the consumer is in a forbearance and continue to report them as current. So what we don't wanna see is that the consumer um, shows an ongoing delinquency. We want them to be reported current or at the current state before they went into the forbearance. If that happens, then the consumer is not negatively impacted. Um, And so I thought that was really incredibly important to get that out and create kind of a uniform approach Uh, to treating consumers um, so that everyone's kind of on the same page. So I thought that was a a tremendous benefit. We've also seen, um, you know, folks within the administration uh, provide additional tools for consumers so they know uh, whether they um, have the benefit of some of the FHA or GSE, uh, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, loan forbearance programs. So um, working together, the CFPB, FHFA, and HUD has created this lookup table so that you as a, either a owner of the home or as a renter, you know whether or not um, your loan is owned by the federal government and you know, what types of options are available to you. And I think that that's a tremendous um, opportunity for consumers to know what they're eligible for um, and hopefully remove some of the confusion that could exist for consumer.
0: I think that's those are really great points. Uh, let's switch a little bit here um, uh, and talk a, a little bit about financial literacy, uh, which I know is a is an important issue that you've discussed um, um, before, and it's is a big issue that FICO has often talked about. You know, millennials often uh, there, there was a lot of perception that millennials are, are not interested, for example, becoming homeowners, and and we've actually seen. A lot of data that sort of says that's not true. They are actually very interested in becoming um, uh, homeowners and do want to own a home. Um, and uh, I'm just wondering what you you think is the the link between financial literacy, which I I personally don't believe we do a very good job of in this country in our in our school systems um, of teaching financial literacy. Uh, as you know, I'm I'm an educator, so uh, at the graduate level, but I I'm often amazed at my graduate students how little they know about uh, uh, the way the the financial system works, and so I'm wondering uh, what you think that relationship between financial literacy and home ownership is, and 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 the importance it is for millennials and 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 Gen and Gen Zers.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you, Paul. I don't think that we invest nearly enough time in um, educating. Um, you know, our students around financial literacy and how the system works. Because I think if you understand, um, it is very empowering and you have the ability to go out and be successful with whatever your financial goals are. Uh, and you're right, I believe that many millennials want to own their uh, own home. Uh, it's a great way to uh, build net worth. And so, you know, we think that the financial literacy, you know, could be incredibly helpful because, and and, and the Frame of home ownership because it's the largest purchase that you know most Americans are going to make over the course of their lifetime, um, and it's not something you can just simply you know come up with the money to pay without planning. You know, the saving for that down payment and having a long-term view and understanding you know exactly where you need to have your credit profile so that you can get to affordable mortgage payment um, is really important. And so I think you know that. The other thing that seems to be missing is also, once you get to the being in the home, um, how do you keep your finances on track? How do you make certain that you've got to um, set aside savings in case something happens? Very, very different than when you're a renter and the landlord is gonna pay for that uh, water heater that went out versus once you own your own homes. So things that I learned along the way when I became my first homeowner. <laughs> um, right. But we think, you know, um, it's really important that we provide information on the credit building aspect of this, making certain that consumers know what goes into their credit score, um, how it's used in the mortgage lending process, you know what steps they can take to start building credit um, are things that we can do to be helpful. Uh, one of the things that's been very interesting as I spent time with our um, Score a Better Future program and getting out in the community, what you find is that uh, there are some generational issues as well, Paul. Um, you know, uh, consumers whose parents speak to them about um, finances and uh, about money are certainly in a better position than those whose um, parents did not share any of that information.
0: Right. Interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And and that's, again, you know, if, if the parents aren't discussing that with the kids, that's something that schools have to sort of step up to the plate a little bit more and try to and try to do a better job at. And it's... It's been a challenge. Uh, and that sort of gets me to the, the next point, which is, uh, you know, is, is FICO doing things that are providing resources to help consumers get better financial literacy and, and improve their, their credit scores? Um, what, what, what is FICO doing?
1: Yeah, there's a number of programs that uh, we have at FICO. So, you know, I think that the very first step many years ago was just to develop um, our My MyFICO um, website. So it's a direct-to-consumer website uh, that allows um, for consumers to come on and uh, obtain all sorts of free um, financial education materials. We have, um, you know, video snippets, and uh, also, which I find is really uh, interesting, is that the consumers like to get onto the boards and talk with each other and share information. And so that's very, very active. So that was the start of, you know, making certain that we're getting information and being transparent with consumers and subsequently, we created um, a two programs that we refer to as the Open Access Programs Poll. And the thought process here was to suggest: you know, we wanted to make certain that consumers would create a transparent um, relationship with their lenders. And so, through the Open Access Program, lenders that were already acquiring FICO scores for making account management decisions are able to turn around and share that information directly with educational information for free to the consumers. Mm-hmm. And so really blessed that lenders really embrace this program. And we have over 200 um, large and small lenders uh, who are on a regular basis providing the consumer's FICO score for free to them tech uh, to either their you know, um, credit card or other types of um, of statements that they might receive. So we think that's great and, and, and helpful for the consumers to know. Um, and then, We also added a program uh, to help the not-for-profit counselors as well, so that they have the information uh, that they need in order to help a consumer understand what are the next best steps that they could take to help improve um, their FICO scores. Um, And then last but not least, which we mentioned, I think, a little bit earlier in the conversation, uh, developing a program that we call Score a Better Future, which we have been partnering with Organizations such as the National Urban League, National Consumer League, uh, Consumer Action, where um, we you know target specific communities to go in to provide credit education, uh, counseling, along with um, uh, you know uh, local leaders, et cetera. We just completed our first virtual event in um, Columbus, which was very well attended, and we were very happy to have the uh, L- Lieutenant Governor um, join us for making some remarks at that event.
0: Yeah, I'm actually thinking it just. It- occurred to me that uh, and I don't know if you, maybe you guys already uh, got this in hand but maybe should uh, do some outreach to uh, to uh, students uh, and w- when they're about to take out student loans and, and thinking about those ramifications uh, maybe the score better future um, would be helpful to them when they're uh, <laughs> when they're talking to some of the universities and so forth about borrowing to go to to go to college and then grad school and, and thinking about uh, that which it's obviously an important investment but it's also it's more than you know. A lot, I think a lot of students come in and they start borrowing for college, and they're not really thinking about that they might have to also borrow for graduate school later on. So, trying to make those decisions all together. Um, anyway, I, that's
1: a I agree with you. I think we've, in large part, so far started with you know more of the adult population, which mm-hmm. is interesting is a number of parents have brought children to these events uh, that we have. So I think that that's nice that they're helping um, make certain that they're informed as well. But I think a, a definite opportunity for us, Paul, um, to start. Um, speaking to you know those high school grads that are going on to college and make certain that they have the information they need to make smart decisions about uh, borrowing. Yep. Um, yep, to make it through college.
0: Yep. So, uh, so I know um, a lot of people often ask. Like oh, I know um, people on up on the Hill and and elsewhere have sort of said if I go, hey, what what can you do to help increase, or what can we do to help increase? Obviously, what FICO can do, but what what can we do to increase access to homeownership? And is there a role for FICO in this? And I'm just wondering, you know, have you looked at score formulas, or you know, FICO does, uh, and what impact it might have positively on on access to homeownership at all? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah,
1: I think that's. Um... Spot on. So, you know, I think what we believe at FICO is the number one thing that we can do to help um, create access is making the most predictive model that we can. So if you have a really predictive model, uh, you give additional confidence to the lender to make that credit granting decision. So that's the first thing we do. But then also we look to understand, are there new data sources that we could incorporate that could be helpful as well for the consumer? Um Illustrative is when we built FICO score nine, about five years ago, uh, we found that there was sufficient uh, rental data being reported to the credit bureaus that we would be in a position to incorporate that information. Um, And so having positive pay coming in from rentals is very predictive and it was an opportunity to um, help uh, consumers that had that information in the credit file, build their credit and improve their scores. So the other thing that we've looked at is what we talk about our projects using alternative data. And when I mean by alternative data, just data that doesn't happen to reside in the three um, primary credit bureaus. And so with that, we are um, looked at uh, telco data, which is offered um, through NCTUE. Uh, and telco data are your cell phone bill payment, um, very widespread predictive information, and so we've developed a score that we call FICO score XD uh, using that information. It's a perfect opportunity for consumers to actually get on the credit ladder. Um, So we know we have about 25 million consumers who just don't have a record at any of the three credit bureaus, uh, but they do have cell phone bill bill payment, and so an opportunity to give them a score and then maybe get their first credit card and then build experience so they can get to homeownership. We don't tend to see homeownership or mortgages, the first credit product, right? But but certainly maybe the second or third. Um, the other thing that we did recently was create a product that we call the Ultra FICO Score. I love this because it's consumer permission data. So what we're doing is leveraging the data that is at the credit bureau file already, but then asking the consumer, would you be willing to also share information about uh, the transaction, within your um, checking or savings account in order to complement or may round out the picture of your credit. And so when we do that, what we've found is that there's a, an incredible opportunity for consumers to improve their FICO score by being able to demonstrate that they've been able to manage their checking account over time and keep positive balances. So those are some of the things that we're trying to do to help in terms of access.
0: I think your point about cell phones is... Uh is really is really uh, important and timely because you know for so many uh, millennials and and Gen, uh, Gen Zers really a cell phone uh, purchase is, is is really their first big purchase uh, it's not it's not going to be a car you know anymore or not mm-hmm. necessarily so it's it's really um, and they're getting so expensive as well so uh, the fact that those payments might count. Um, in some calculations uh, different the different types of scores is I think actually kind of relevant. I think um, so. you know
1: we, what we found is that you know in essence to your point about the expense associated with getting the new handset, you know that the telco providers have turned into really installment lenders right because they're helping the consumers finance uh, those phones yeah
0: absolutely uh, I know I've taken advantage of that several times so sure. Um, the, uh, the new phones are quite, the new smartphones are, it's quite a, it's quite a jump from the days of uh, when I started out and we had pagers, so just getting my age oh, there. Yes.
1: Well, you know, if we're going to share that, I will let you know my first mobile phone was not mobile at all. It was in the trunk of my car.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you did mention, uh, uh, I just want to touch on this a little quickly again, ultrafico. Um, for a typical consumer, what what will ultra-FICO actually do for them?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that the key here is that we know that um, over 15 million Americans could get an ultra-FICO score even if they don't have enough credit bureau data to generate a traditional FICO score. So we think about this as an inclusion um, opportunity for more people to be pulled in. And really what we're doing here is um, I think – it relates very much to traditional underwriting where lenders and bankers for years have tried to understand what's the cash flow for this consumer? So do they have the capacity to repay? And so that's what IELTS FICO score is, uh, tr- is capturing, where I'm trying to understand you know, how long has the account been open? Um, are you able to uh, avoid a misstep and, and not have an overdraft? Uh, can you maintain a positive balance or more. So what's important to understand here is that what we're not doing is trying to mine the mine the excuse me checking account data to look to see where the consumer is spending money. It's just can they keep an account open over a period of time and make certain that it's growing or positive balances, which is very very predictive of the consumer's ability to repay.
0: I mean so basically if you don't have a credit card or a car loan they can improve their credit score with these new products. Exactly.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, Because we know particularly, you know, as you were mentioning the millennials and and a population, they haven't necessarily used credit the same way that uh, uh, those of, you know, the boomers did, Um, you know, we saw a big change in uh, post the card act and ability to pay. I think it's wise to make certain one has the ability to repay uh, before they get a credit card. But what we did see is that it really postponed getting access to the credit system uh, for the younger generation.
0: That's great. Well, Joanna, I I know we're running out of time here, so I wanted to to thank you for this incredibly enlightening uh, conversation and and providing us with a lot of information. I think it's going to be very, very helpful to a lot of people, so thanks for, uh, taking time today to, to
1: talk with us. Paul, thank you very much. It was certainly my pleasure and look forward to staying in touch.
0: Thanks.